one of the things that street photography prepares you is again is to think on your feet so it's it's really not part of it is is about not having expectations but part of it is mostly about readiness about being able to take you know split moment decisions where um, again if if this doesn't work you know you you, you turn to something else um, and and it's, it's happened to me where I am doing client sessions um, and you know as prepared as I could have been then things don't turn out as I was expecting um, and or something happens uh, a location that I really wanted to do suddenly it's under construction for some reason that I wasn't expecting and then you just have to you know like find another way and 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 those things are always for me then again very gratifying because you are able to you know to see your problem and then solve it Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. This is We Are Photographers with Omar Z. Robles, and this is his story. Super excited for our guest today. Um, coming on to Creative Live for the very first time is Omar Z. Robles, and Omar is based in New York. He is a photographer. He has an incredible career story, um, starting back when he was a mime for 10 years. He studied under the famous Marcel Marceau. We're definitely going to want to talk about that and then how he transitioned into life as a photographer, starting as a street photographer, doing a lot of street photography. He worked for publications in Chicago, and he, again, like I said, is now based in New York City. Now he partners with brands such as being a Leica ambassador, uh, working with Lightroom, but he's worked with other brands um, along the way, um, including the Guatemala Tourism Board, Peak Design, Jaguar, Gap, Esprit, Esquire magazine. Um, his work is best known for his collaboration with dancers, whether that's in the streets of New York City or all over the world. And now we get to hear from him directly. So please help me welcome Mr. Omar Z. Robles to Creative Live. Omar, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you so much for the invitation. My God, you did your research. You know, that's what I do. That's what I do. I know you do as well uh, for the people that you work with and the the dancers that you photograph. Uh, so it's it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to bring you to our global community. So Omar, um, let's start with what you are working on now today. Um, now during this time, uh, we are recording, uh, it is September 9th in 2020. And um, we've all been kind of in a different world for the past six months or so. Yes, we have. And so tell me a little bit about um, what you have been working on, how you've stayed connected with the community. I know last night I was watching uh, one of your IG lives that is Conversations with Dancers. Um, so, so tell me about how you've adjusted and how you've been creating during this time. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really tried to be as realistic as possible during this time. And the first thing that I have to say that, that I did, it was allow myself a time to mourn, a time to understand what was going on. So I didn't put any pressure. I tried not to put any pressure on myself to create or, or you know, to have to do stuff right away. It was a confusing time. It was a difficult time, uh, especially in New York City. It was a very scary time. You would hear like ambulances 24 7 it was it was crazy so i think i first allowed myself that moment of like grief and anxiousness and but i i i, I allowed it because i knew that it had to be there I, I knew that i had to go through that and when i felt that i was more comfortable with with the situation then i started first i started doing like 
something that I, it was a very interesting experiment where I, I, I was doing kind of street photography within my own home in a certain way, trying to document little moments of what, what I was experiencing every day. Uh, things from, you know, like trying to call unemployment to trying to like do groceries online, you know, and different challenges that presented themselves to moments where I would see neighbors outside. It's like people people and then i would grab my camera and photograph people outside of the window or, or like on top of the rooftop um and it was kind of a you know it was a documentation of uh, of my experience at that moment um and 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 it was not related to to the work that i do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis um there's something that i only published on my blog i don't even know if people you know from my instagram have, have been able to see it um but it was something that it was it was more of a personal uh creation um and um and and that really helped me to to get back in tune um and at a certain at a certain point i didn't want to go out uh to the streets in, in new york city you were allowed to go there was no um there was no actual legal restrictions to go outside uh or outdoors but i thought it was just not the time to be photographing outdoors for several reasons first one i wasn't really willing to take uh public transportation i still am not um so and i wasn't going to ask other people to you know join me in my neighborhood for my selfish reasons um and and you know have them expose themselves so um i understood that it was a time to try to find other creative outlets and what i did at some point i believe it was around april or so i started working on a series of instagram lives called conversations with dancers and it was a moment to for me, it was actually very gratifying and it's been extremely gratifying to this date because um, it's helped me on a personal level understand very in a deeper level the, the connection that I have with the dancers that I work with that are just not you know, people in front of the camera, these have people that are, you know, that, that trust myself, I'm sorry, that trust me um, throughout the process and that we have develop a really strong rapport uh, throughout the time. And, you know, there's, I've been able to interview dancers that I've photographed since basically I started uh, photographing dancers to dancers that I photographed recently. And some, either, and some also dancers that I haven't even worked with, some people that we've talked about working together, but we didn't have the chance to work together. But in a way for me, it's, it's not only about our relationship, but it's also most importantly about helping the viewers see uh, what goes behind the, the creative process, but not from my side, but from their side. Because, you know, as a photographer, when I do uh, talks and things like that, people always ask me about the technical stuff, about, you know, what lens, what camera, you know, what aperture, or so on and so forth. But people never ask the dancers, you know, like, what's your perspective? What what are you feeling? Uh, what are What's your um, goal? Uh, or outtake out of you know what what you're doing. Um, so really, in a way, it, it was it was a, a way to show the people, to show the audience, um, and allow them to get closer to the dancers as opposed to get closer to me uh, as a photographer. Um, and then you know basically throughout most of the lives, what we're doing is talking about the works that we have done together. You know we 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 see some of the images that we have created together, and we talk about them. And then at some point, I kind of flip the, the tables around and then have the dancers ask me questions. Um, and I also thought at some point that was a, an interesting um, thing to bring on because also, you know, maybe they have questions for me. You know, the way I try to set up the, 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 the sessions to this day is that I try to be as, um, as, and and this and this I do generally, you know, when I'm photographing people, even if I'm photographing someone in the street, if I don't need to take anyone else's time any more than I have to, then I, you know, I don't. So, you know, when when we're done photographing, we're done photographing goodbye, and that's it. I don't want to, you know, linger or you know, go do anything afterwards because for me, I try to, you know, even when I was doing like street photography and doing portraits of people on the street, I'd be like, all right, I took your picture, thank you, goodbye. You know, I I, I try not to like linger. Um, I think I, I have like some. Sometimes uh, I'm great doing live and I'm great doing like um, live events with, with a lot of people, but on one-on-ones I get nervous and, you know, in, in, in real life. So, uh, so, uh, so it, it's been an interesting moment to then also have them ask me. And most importantly for me again, and this might sound selfish, but it's really been like a really good moment to see myself in someone else's eye. Um, and and that's been really eye-opening for me. Um, so that's something that I have been doing um, for the better better part of the of the 
of the lockdown, I guess, um, when I couldn't go out anywhere. Uh, but once the restrictions started to ease out in New York City and, and now that the infection rate is below 1% for, for one month has been. Um, so now I feel safer going out and meeting the dancers. I'm still not taking public transportation, as I said, so I'm trying to find personal means of transportation um, and meeting the dancers at their neighborhoods uh, where they don't have to travel. Uh, so it's me doing the traveling. And then, um, and then we're photographing just as we did before, but now with masks. And and that's been like a hot topic because in the beginning, I wasn't sure if I wanted to remember this moment by this. I didn't. I wasn't sure if I really wanted to re remember the trauma. Um, but to be honest, it was traumatic to have someone in front of me without a mask, even if it was just for the moment of the picture. Uh, so I was like, no, 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 no. Like, let's just wear the mask at all time. And I tell dancers ahead of time, if, if they're not okay with that, then goodbye, we'll photograph when this is all over. But for now, I'm more comfortable just um, photographing that way. And it's been crazy because dancers have been so... Um, appreciative of being able to go out and do something, especially again, because maybe in other cities was different, but in New York City, for the better part, it was like people were not going out at all. So they are very excited to be able to go out and, and, and create something and, and have a moment of, of yeah, of, of, of creativity, I guess. Um, and they are thankful to be using the, the, the mask because they know that I, I am protecting them and they're protecting me at the same time so with the dancers there's no problem at all it's been mostly like some followers that have made like some you know nasty comments about the usage of masks and stuff like that but i try to bring it with the positivity of saying like this is a mass of solidarity uh and we're doing it to protect each other gosh you've been busy despite uh <laughs> despite being um in the situations that that we are all in yeah. and i i think it's been wonderful to see how people what people have done to keep creative and you know whether it's starting to do street photography inside of you know the unemployment applications or whatever it is you know you you it's one thing when it was just like a moment in time and 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 we still don't know how long but it's like the more you know, it's interesting that you talk about the not wanting because of it's traumatic, but now it's like, this is our life. Um, and so, you know, documenting that and integrating it into what will be a historical time yeah. um, tr truly is a, a meaningful and beautiful thing. Yeah. And, um, and the dancer that I was speaking with yesterday, um, Chow Chow Cao, she's, uh, she's, she's a dancer from China and she experienced uh, the SARS uh, outbreak in, in China for the first time. Um, and one of the things that she actually brought up that, you know, I kind of had thought of it, but she really made me see it more is that it is important to record this time the way we're experiencing it. So it is also wearing the masks in the photographs. It's 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 really a testament to when those photos were taken. Um, so if I see those photos 10, 20 years from now, I'm going to know exactly what you know what moment in history those photos were taking as opposed to just a random photo of a dancer in the street. Yes, and everybody else will as well. I'm curious, I love that you're having the dancers ask you questions at the end. And and I'm curious if there's been a surprising question that you can recall now that, that you didn't expect and made you actually learn something more about yourself. There definitely has been, but to be honest, I don't recall exactly the particular question that might have been, but there has been, there has been definitely a few people that that um i mean yesterday even uh, chow chow asked me he's like with you know with all the recognition that you have achieved you know it's like do you feel more pressure and i, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that before um so so yeah i mean i guess that, that definitely was a moment like oh let me think about that one a little bit uh <laughs> But but yeah, there's definitely been been a lot of very insightful questions um, that people have asked me. That that again, it, it's 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 it, it brings it back home and it makes me feel super connected to the people that I'm working with. How important is the the community that you've built around you um, and, and that has, you know, that has you have like we mentioned that 300,000 followers on Instagram and, and just, I feel like if you think about 
dancers and photography, people think about your work. Uh, and so how has community and played a role? Have you seen a shift in the way that people interact with and photograph dancers? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, on a on a more personal level, I think community, you know, the social media communities have become like like instant focus groups, really, in a certain way where you test things out and you know exactly right away what the you know what the reaction is going to be. Um, that's um, as Mr. Monk used to say, a gift and a curse. I don't know if you remember that series, but uh, you know that's a gift and a curse. Where because yes, uh, it allows you to then have a yay or an a to something that you're experiencing or experimenting with and then you if there's if it's a yay then you go on that route if it's an a then you try something else but sadly at the same time you know not because people think something is good or bad it it is you know uh, sometimes and 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 it's easy sometimes to then get stuck in in routines and patterns because you think that's what people are going to respond to um so i think it's good also in a sense that then you're challenging yourself to also kind of like try to battle i mean at least if you're trying to 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 be artistic uh then you try to find a way to battle and and combat that that um complacency is the word i don't know if that's the right word um but but yeah i mean but at the same time there's definitely that sense of support of of community of feeling that you're not alone um and 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 i think that definitely is something that that as artists it's very valuable that i think it was harder to have before um and now it's it's there it's accessible to everyone so let's go back in time. You, you mentioned that you do, you know, you're great doing live, doing these photo shoots or, you know, events where you're speaking. But then when it comes down to one on one, you have a little bit of, of shyness or or not liking small talk. Maybe that's, you know, oh, what no. it is or. Uh, but so I think that's interesting because let's talk a little bit about your being your being a mime, your being a performance artist, but that. And this concept of of communication without language. Um, so tell us the story of how you got into um, becoming a mime. Why becoming a mime? Um, studying uh, under Marcel Marceau. Tell us. Um, yeah, I mean, um, the body as an artistic or as a as a tool of expression. It's something that since I was a kid, I I found fascinating. Um, my GI Joes were not fighting. My GI Joes were jumping and doing somersaults out of out of you know jeeps and 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 really it was for me it was kind of like a spectacle to try to like make them do like somersaults and fly in the air. Um, and I remember since I was a kid and still to this day or or you know yeah still to this day I have had dreams of being able to fly of being able to defy gravity or just float and things like that so for me that's always been part of my psyche um in general so I started as a gymnast I started you know I, a, a little late in life but I started uh, doing gymnastics when I was back in Puerto Rico and um, and then also something that for me was storytelling and, and, and capturing people's attention was also something that was like fascinating for me. So when I was a kid, I used to learn jokes and not one joke, but I had like a library of jokes that I would do. And whenever I could gather people around me, I would tell those jokes. Or if it was, if it wasn't jokes, it was magic tricks. And I learned a bunch of magic tricks and I bought like the little box sets of magic uh, of magic tricks. Um, and I really loved that. I loved that aspect of, of fantasy and entertaining people, um, and capturing people's, um, fascination for a little bit. Uh, so I guess at, at a certain point I discovered mime, um, I think through my uncle who, who was an educator and, and, you know, he talked to me about Marcel Marceau and other mimes and I started looking into it and, and I really discovered that that was kind of the best of both worlds where I had, um, the physicality of what I did with gymnastics, but the magic that I had, you know, with creating something that was not there necessarily and, and, and really engaging that aspect of imagination. Um, and that's really when I started doing mime. I think I started 
learning by mime when I was like 15 years old. Um, and then I took, uh, I took several workshops in Puerto Rico and then I had a chance to come to Ohio and take some workshops over here. Um, and then at some point I had to make a choice and cause I, at, at that point I was already leaning, I was already going to college and my family wasn't really happy with me really deciding to do mime obviously i guess uh i mean not obviously obviously there's people that have that support but i didn't really have that support at that moment um so i went through the path of least resistance that you know i had good grades in math and and science so i started as an engineer major and i was miserable for like a year and a half going every day to school and like literally thinking about mind pieces that I was going to do when I got out of there. Uh, so after a year and a half, I decided I'm not going to fight this anymore and try to find like a middle ground. And I started doing graphic design in college, but that wasn't it either. Um, I liked the aspect of creation and I liked the aspect of working with computers, but I hated the aspect of dealing with clients and such. So, and I still was dreaming about, you know, about mime and performance. So one day I said, enough is enough. If my family doesn't support me, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to do this by myself. And, and I did. And I came to New York, um, took some mime classes here. And then I auditioned to, I, I went to, I, I, I applied to, to audition to, to the mime school in, in Paris with Marcel Marceau. I, I was accepted and I went there, I auditioned, I was accepted. And, and yeah, and I studied and I started performing and I did it for about 10 years um or so before i started engaging in photography and then life took different turns so i get i haven't met many people who have worked i would say i haven't met any people that have worked for 10 years um professionally as a mime can you tell us a story about so what what i just thought about was you know as photographers especially you know we're looking for subjects and and we're we're in, we're interacting with subjects if we're photographing people that is and a lot of times photographers will say well i don't like to be on the other side of the camera but like you spent 10 years as a performer being that person that maybe i'm sure people were photographing you but maybe you know that wasn't the purpose but what did you, can you take us to a scene of, of what it was where you, did you perform in the streets, on the stages? Like, can you describe a scene of like being embodied in this role of performing and what that, I don't know what that feels like to you? Yeah. Um, I used to perform mainly on stage. Um, the tradition in Europe, as opposed to here, is you see more mime in theater than you see it in the streets. Here, it's become more of a street art uh, to a certain extent. But but you see mime here in in many different places. If you go to Cirque du Soleil, there's mime there. If you go to you know even see the the ballet and 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 the opera, there's mime there for sure. Um, but it's never it's 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 rarely that you see a mime show specifically in the states except for new york city maybe um in other towns you see it but it's not something you know as big as you know when when you would see marceau perform which was like a huge thing and he would fill out like huge theaters um but for me it was it was that experience in the theater that i liked the most in the streets you never know what you're going to find in the street so it's always kind of scary uh but in the theater for me it was you know when the lights go down the curtain goes up and then you just have like that spotlight on you and you feel the audience breathing with you and the peculiarity of mime is because there's no text involved sometimes there's music sometimes there's not but you can really feel the audience and like I, I haven't really felt any other art form that you feel the audience right there with you and it's not one person it's hundreds of people in front of you and you kind of feel them breathing and you feel them reacting to you and and if they're not into what you're doing, you feel it and it feels very scary. But if they're into it, then you feel it and it feels like being lifted up by like a thousand people at the same time. So that is a, a, a feeling that I have, you know, never felt before ever. And I don't think photography or any other art form really gives you that that specific feeling. Um, in terms of, of what you were saying of being in front of the camera, um, it's funny because... 
I loved to be in front of the camera at that at that time and and still today. But when I would do it back then, I was a character or someone else. So still to this day, when I when a camera is in front of me, I don't know how to act as myself. I can definitely act and clown and do you know and and jerk around and do you know funny faces and things like that. Um, but it's a very different feeling. And I think it's it's very interesting and for me gratifying to be able to put on that mask, to put on that character and become someone else. Um, that is something that I think I think models can do maybe, but photographers or other people that don't really understand that psychology of becoming something else or someone else uh, for that particular moment in time, um, it's very difficult. So even for me, if, if you're asking to take a, a picture of me, it's like, that's difficult. But if, if I become a character, I, I can do, you know, I can do wonders. Um, so it's funny because whenever like we're in social gatherings or something like that and, and people ask to take a picture of me and my wife, I always make a face and she's like, don't, don't, don't do that. So I cannot not do it. It's the only way I know how to be in front of a camera. I was just gonna. I was just thinking, okay, what's your face? What's your, I'm taking a picture I always like open my eyes, like do something like that, you know. <laughs> Like, what you, are have you, doing? <laughs> you have beautiful teeth. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, there's so much psychology in everything you just talked about. But and first of all, you really took me there in terms of what an incredible feeling that must have been performing. Yeah. Um, and like you said, there's especially if there's no like nothing accompanying that, but just this connection between you and the audience and them actually feeling that that whatever you said about feeling them breathing is just wow. Yeah. So I would love to kind of talk about that transition to um to how that when you're you know you have this performance background so you can you have a dance background. Did you do ballet as well? And 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 then like how did this transition to working with to dancers being what you wanted to work with? Um, so ballet was part of the training I did as part of the school, um, in, in the school with Marcel Marceau. Um, but again, as I, say, I was saying, as I was saying before, gymnastics was part. So the gymnastics, ballet, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but ballet has a very specific language. So because I had that language, that, that knowledge of that language, I was able to transpose it or translate it into what I'm doing today very well. Um, and the transition really came to try to make the story as short as possible is that when I was doing street photography, I, especially in New York City, I loved it, but I noticed that there were some patterns that I wasn't really liking about just people doing the same things every day. Um, and I felt like there needed to be a rupture. And I remembered when I was living in Chicago, I was photographing parkour. Um, and uh, you know what parkour is, right? So for me, again, the sense of imagining life a different way that we are, that we know it, uh, you know, using the city in a different fashion that we're normally using it. And instead of, you know, using a bench to sit, you use the bench to jump over it, you know, why not? Um, so it was really that sense of trying to, you know, change perspective of what I was seeing. Um, so this series started actually as a self-portrait series where I would just place the camera and start doing, you know, stylized poses and jumps uh, um, that would take me back to the perform to my performance days. Um, and I was really trying to perform for the camera and, and, and really capture that sense of, of um, lightness or, or uh, um, lack of gravity um, and, and, and really imagine the city and life in a very different light that we normally do. Um, and that's really how that series started. At just as, at a certain uh, point, um, it was just difficult to be both in front of the camera and, and behind the camera. So I turned to the people that I knew that could jump even better and more beautifully than than I could and that's when I turned to dancers so I found this um um I was following this this uh woman on Instagram um and and she was doing something a little bit similar but different and and we met and it turned out that she was a dancer so I already had that connection that that knowledge of like the performance arts world um and we started communicating in that language and I was like ha there's something here you know like being able to to really communicate with a person in this language 
language and create something very specific and very tailored. Um, and that's when we started. I started working with her several times. Um, and then, you know, she introduced me to her friends and her friends introduced me to their friends. And it kind of snowballed to a point that I was having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and um, but the because my audience back then was really divided into like street photography and what I was doing then um, I was it got to a point where I was like I don't know where I want to pursue this fully um, and that's when I got contacted by Mashable and by Instagram and by other um, outlets and they really were picking into this this kind of work so I was like all right so I guess there is something there um, that people do want to want to explore and that's when basically I started shifting all my work into that into that outlet how did I want to going back to um, the the emotion between um, between you as the photographer and the dancer, um, like you said, performing on stage with you in the audience, there's a, there's this energy going back and forth. Um, I've heard you talk about that you don't have necessarily preconceived notions of what you will shoot other than you're going to a particular location with a particular dancer um, and, and then the story unfolds. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit more, more about that? Yeah, I mean, when you when you study theater and you study improv theater, there's there's that element of always saying yes, of always being ready for whatever comes and just saying yes. Uh, and that's kind of like the my mentality that I bring whenever I do sessions and, and photography with the dancers. I come to a place with try to be as an open mind as possible and kind of like an empty canvas because uh, I would say, just to be a little bit fair, 6.5 times out of 10, um, when I come with something like preset in my mind, I fall flat in my face. Like it doesn't work. Something is never, nothing ever really happens the way you have it in your mind. And if you're not ready to accept that reality when it happens, then you get really frustrated and you don't know where to turn to. Obviously, when you're doing commercial shoot, uh, sessions and you're doing commercial work, you need to be prepared and you need to have a game plan and that's completely understandable. But then you over prepare. At that point, you really, really have to have like, you need to have like literally a production uh, plan and, you know, have a storyboard and, and have everything so that you actually kind of do a pre-shoot before the shoot so that you, you know everything turns out the way you're expecting it to uh, but when you're creating more artistically that which is basically the way that I the way I do normally then I, I really try to allow myself those situations um, to speak by themselves and and really really try to uh, find as opposed to look for for things um, and it's and it's it is really gratifying on the one side I'm not you know, I don't have too many expectations. Um, so when there, when great things happen, it's it's even better because you know I wasn't really expecting it, and and that's just it feels it feels better. Um, and if things don't go as great as I thought they were going to be, I didn't have any expectations either. So I'm not letting myself down too much, and I've really tried to approach things at that, at that level because it's the same thing when you're doing street photography. You're going out and if you go out with like a hunt mentality and you have to take pictures and you have to do this and that, then you come back home and usually you're um, disappointed at yourself because you realize that, you know, what you had in your head is not really what happened. Um, but again, when you go out, you know, not expecting a whole lot and then you capture uh, something beautiful, then you're like, oh, wow, you know, you know, that 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 definitely, uh, I don't know, it makes it makes your day. I think it's so beautifully put because, I mean, isn't that, I, I forget what the exact de words are, but, you know, something about the definition of happiness or joy being, you know, reality, expectations minus reality or whatever no. it is. But, yeah. but it's just, it's a, it's not just a lesson for going out and photographing, but truly, you know, a, a life lesson. Um, yeah. Because I'm not a five-year person at all. <laughs> <laughs> Except when you're shooting, you know, for, for clients. Except when you're doing that. But other than that, you know, people ask me, like, what are you going to do in five years? I don't know. Be alive, I hope. I... Let's hope. Let's hope. Looking back, though, is there a, a, 
a story that you can share that maybe was sort of like a pivotal shift in your life where you did have certain expectations and things didn't go as you thought, but you were able to like make a shift that turned out to be more than you could have expected? Um, there's definitely many stories like that. The one thing, and, and, and it's not something so existential or, or pivotal, but I do remember a, a moment where, again, being... One of the things that street photography prepares you is, again, is to think on your feet. So it's it's really not, part of it is, is about not having expectations, but part of it is mostly about readiness, about being able to take, you know, split moment decisions where, um, again, if, if this doesn't work, you know, you, you, you turn to something else. Um, and and it's, it's happened to me where I am doing client sessions um, and, you know, as prepared as I could have been, then things don't turn out as I was expecting, um, and or something happens. Uh, a location that I really wanted to do suddenly it's under construction for some reason that I wasn't expecting, and then you just have to you know like find another way. And 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 those things are always for me. Then again, very gratifying because you are able to you know to see a problem and then solve it and i and i think you know uh, often in times those are the moments that you're like Whew, and you realize that you know it's it's funny because i i always my wife tells me it's like every time i come out from from a shoot i come back from a session i'm like she's like how did you do i'm like i don't know uh, i'm not sure and she's like oh you always say the same thing uh, and then i look at the photos in the computer i'm like huh Looks like I knew what I was doing, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, th definitely those moments where where you were able to rely on on experience and and your own knowledge to turn a situation around. And I remember with with uh, a session whether I was that that photo shoot that I did uh, for Jaguar, there was a moment where I had a location that I like really really wanted to do a picture there, and they really wanted that picture. Um, but then I got there and and it was impossible. There was way too many cars and and it was kind of dangerous. So I kind of had to bail on that location. Um, but I ended up finding a, a way to do something similar in a similar location um, that it turned out to be a little bit more subtle and 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 more uh, delicate. I would say that 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 it wasn't as obvious as the idea that I had, but it was it was a little bit more magical because it was the it was implied as opposed to just, you know, that's what it is. Well, and that's where, that's where the magic really happens. Um, is, and like you said, you have to be prepared to go with the flow or be prepared. Know that trust yourself that you will be able to figure it out. I mean, photography is solving problems. And yeah. it just made me think about, um, I know you've, I've watched um, a Smug Mug video of you, and then also um, our friends at Adorama TV, um, Sal, who you went to Puerto Rico with and made it through the lens. Uh, and, and just thinking about traveling and photography, you know, adds this whole other level of going to different cultures and places. And um, can you can you tell us a story about um, photographing a dancer, maybe somewhere um, internationally where um, you were able to sort of ha have something come out of it that you didn't expect? I mean, I think every time I travel, uh, I love traveling. I love I love meeting people from different cultures, different paths of life, um, and 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 having that comparison of like where who you are or who that person is and where they are and and how those how those differences are really not differences but are just different expressions of the same thing of the same needs and wants. Um, and that's why, for example, I love language. I love trying to learn languages. And whenever I travel, um, I try to teach myself some words in the in the local language because. Again, one of, one of the things that I've realized through life is that we are, language is nothing again but an expression of the same needs and wants that we all have. So we all want to eat, we all want to sleep, we all want to have food, you know, we all want to have fun, uh, we all cry, we all laugh. So it's really ways to express that in different, you know, in the, in a different form. So, um, so finding that connection when I travel is, it's really what's magical for me. Um, however, 
I guess one of the things that, again, when it's become really magical is when you see how similar we are at the same time. So when I, I think one of the most magical places for me when I travel was Cuba because uh, Cuba has always been tainted by this, you know, the communism and like the American spin on the story or the American narrative of the story. And as a Puerto Rican, you know, Cuba always felt like a sister island, but I was never able to be there. And again, because of that, American narrative of like they're the bad people, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so I decided to 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 go there. I had a chance to go there thanks to uh, a professor in Columbia University um, that she was um, she had a grant um, and and she was doing doing a, a study with some students and she brought me in as part of of the uh, of the experience and and seeing how similar they were and. And I think culturally, one of the the biggest things that I learned from from Cuba is that you don't need to have a lot to be happy to a certain extent. And I know that sounds vague and and probably you know I don't even find the right word to say, um, but cliche. Um, but I just found that, and I know that for obviously for us that we have everything, then we go there and we see that they're so happy, quote unquote. It's not that they're happy; it's just that they, that's what they have, and that's a, you know that's what they deal with. But um, but being able to see, you know, how much of life you can strip away, especially because we have so many things in, in, in our society, so many things, so many things that you realize like like we could do so much more with so little. Um, and and again, it's not. I'm not um, fantasizing and saying that they are the happiest people in the world because they don't have certain things, but I'm saying that we take for granted what we have. Um, and and they, you know, talking to the Cuban people there, they, they, they told me, it's like, you know, the things that we know that things are going to go to shit anyway, anytime. So we have learned to just cope with it and, and you just move along. And that was definitely a life lesson for me. So, Omar, you don't know this, but I um, I lead tours to Cuba, or I used to when we could travel, um, have, have been there about um, 12, 13 times now, wow. and it's um, I, I absolutely fell in love with it um, and the culture and the people. And f so what you're describing rings true, and that, that what for me, um, sort of the essence of it is this the creativity. I mean, when you're, when you strip everything down to not having a lot of things, what you do have is a culture that is full of, um, creating something out of nothing of innovation. Um, and, and that's where the, the beauty and the strength of the culture, um, lies. And, and that's part of, you know, that, the um, experience and the friends that I have there and, and the culture itself being so strong. And I have a, um, a Cuban friend and a Puerto Rican friend and the, my Cuban friend said, um, oh, but Cubans and Puerto Ricans are like two um, feathers of the same wing or <laughs> something like that to, to what you were saying. Two wings uh, of the same bird or something like that. That yeah. one, yes, two wings of the same bird. I always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, how is it different going to to Cuba to go photograph and then in your Through the Lens episode on Adorama TV, you went back to Puerto Rico um, and and photographed dancers there. Um, what was, how, how old were you when you um, stopped living in Puerto Rico full time? And like, what is, what did that mean for you to make that um, film there? Yeah, I mean, I I I was I've been out of Puerto Rico in, in two occasions, but I, I guess the first one was when I turned 22. That's when I went to to France to study. Um, but then I, I I lived four years abroad and then I came back and then I left again. I think when I was maybe 30 or 27, something like that. I don't remember exactly. Um, uh, something something around that, like 30 or 27. I don't remember exactly. Um, near my 30s. Um, and um, it's interesting, and that's like, like, a, like a very long question, I guess, to answer, but to try to make it short, again, you take for granted a lot of things of your culture when you're part of it, and then when you leave your culture, you realize um, uh, those things that you actually appreciate. And, and, and I think the longer I've lived in the States, I think I remember when I was younger, I would come to the States and 
and I would hear people speaking in Spanish and I would be offended. It's like, how dare you speak Spanish in the United States of America? You know, I was trying to be and make an effort to be part of the culture, um, which is fine. And it's to a certain extent, you know, valid to try to assimilate uh, wherever you're, you're, you're living. Um, but at the same time, you know, but now after so many years of living here and you really feel the rejection, you really feel the discrimination, you feel, you know, certain things. Then, you know, now I hear Spanish and I run towards, uh, you know, where they're speaking Spanish and I try to, like, make a connection. Um, and I think that's definitely something that, especially at the moment where I went to Puerto Rico to do the Through the Lens, it was very, um, it was a moment that I really have found a lot of even more identity identity as as a puerto rican because it was right after not right after but uh, months after the hurricane maria have struck the island and that's really a moment you know how they say you don't really know what you have until you lost it and that was really a moment that for me i felt like puerto rico is like is a damn special place and and we're losing it uh um, to so many things, to political uh, situations, economical situations, and now, you know, like the, the hurricane. And to see, you know, my my sisters, my brothers, my friends suffering in the way they suffer at that moment and not being able to be there, not being able to be part of, of that or do anything about it, that really brought something hard and, and like really strong for me. So when I went back to do that, that um, through the end's episode, it was really about trying to give back in a certain, you know, one way or another. Uh, so I teamed up with a local charity and and um, tried to do, you know, as much as I w as we could. And really, the idea was to try to bring light to places, um, especially in that community, but also in other communities where they're still struggling. You know, back then it was six months after the the, the hurricane. So the whether like even six months after the hurricane, they were still struggling to 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 survive or to just you know strive in in, in every life everyday life and that lasted longer you know there's people even today like i don't know three years now after the hurricanes are there that are still living you know under like blue tarps and so on and so forth um but you know again those moments really brought home back to me and made me feel even more puerto rican than ever before i'm curious about um uh, you said you know now you hear Spanish and you go running. Um, do you teach in um, Spanish? Do you um, tell me about if there are other Spanish Spanish-speaking photographers out there listening to this? Like, where what are the communities that you go to, or you know, with with regard to photography itself? So it's been hard to be honest because especially being in the States, there's not a lot of um, communities or, or brands that reach out to the Latin American market because, because you know, they, they I don't want to say they care more, but they tailored more or they, they cater more to the, you know, local Anglo, Anglo-Saxon community. So it's it's something that has been hard so for example that's why with my not related to photography necessarily but with like conversations with dancers i've tried to do at least one episode in english one episode in spanish to also highlight latino dancers as well um but also to 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 engage with that latino community um but other than that i think i've approached some brands and some even of the you know local stores to try to do um content in spanish um but it's it's been a little bit um, more uphill uh, of, of an uphill battle, but I, cause there's Latino, there's Latinos in the United States, there's Latinos in, 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 in New York. Um, and even if we speak Spanish, you know, I mean, even if we speak English, there's something valuable or so about, you know, finding connection within your own language. So, um, I definitely, you know, if anyone from, those stores are watching or those brands are watching uh you know that we can do that so let's you know let's do classes and 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 things like that in spanish i think that people would appreciate it i wholeheartedly agree um and yeah i mean it's it's it, there's a lot of things we've been talking about language throughout this uh podcast episode and conversation and there's so many different ways to to think about it and and whether as a connection point, you know, with it, without it. Um, anyway, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, 
Well, let's talk about, continue to talk about photography as another visual language and language. And um, I've, I'm noticing often now that you have our hashtagging film, shot on film, in a lot of the images that I see on your Instagram. And so tell me about how long have you been shooting film um, and, and what it is that you're enjoying about it or, you know, the pluses, the minuses. Why, why film right now? Definitely. Um, you know, for me, I think film was definitely, first and foremost, it was a challenge thing. I am that type of person that I try to challenge myself whenever there's something that feels that I can't do it or that it's difficult. I, I try to like push myself to do it. That's how I started doing street photography and many other things. So film became a, a way of trying to, you know, challenge myself into because i started photography completely digital from the very beginning i mean i remember doing doing you know photographing in film when i was a kid because i'm a kid of the 80s of course so i i, I had you know like instant ca uh, instant cameras and you know like point and shoots back then um but as a professional then to to really be able to do things in camera something that i try to though always do in digital but you know i was like all right let's let's you know talk the talk and walk the walk and see if you can really 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 do things in camera and rely less on you know the 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 post editing um so that was one aspect of it and the other aspect of it really was trying to um or initially at least trying to do quality over quantity um you know you see a lot of people now on on social media trying to do like challenges it's like how many things you can do in 10 minutes or how many things you can do in this time and it's really you know like about quantity and you know like pushing pushing the envelope and and you know uh all the show but we are really 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 lacking in and forgetting in general because of the social media machine the quality of the work and we're really leaving aside to do good things just for the sake of doing things in general you know so um so for me film was a challenge of trying to say okay you have 36 images as opposed to you know a two terabyte or maybe like a one terabyte cutter or whatever uh you have 36 frames make them count you know um and and find ways to to really really utilize those 36 frames and just and and in the beginning and still to to this day i'm basically photographing when i'm doing film sessions i'm only photographing like one role per dancer so and i basically take the same amount of time that i did when i was doing uh when i'm doing digital is about an hour and a half to two hours basically the same amount of time but i am stopping more and really analyzing each photograph before taking it so i'm not just clicking 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 away until i get it but more like all right let's stop here let's really look at the light let's really look at what's happening in the background let's rehearse the photograph before we actually take it so to make sure that you are you know the dancer is comfortable with what they're doing that they find their their, their place that we find you know like really the attitude that we're looking for and then I, I photograph it and in a certain way i feel that i waste less time and also it's become much more stress-free because I would have thought that not being able to see the photograph would make me more stressful, but actually not seeing it makes me have to rely on and trust myself and be like, I'm pretty sure I got it. So let's move on because I can't waste 36 frames on this, you know, like we can, we have to move on. And also it's interesting, you know, like when I was photographing more digital, for example, I realized that I would come home and I would, I would, I would, I would have um, I would stick to one location, for example, because I was trying to get this one, you know, this one pose, for example, and I wouldn't leave it until I was, you know, certain 100% that I got it. Um, and then I would come home. It's like, shit, I have like one location. I have like everything I did in one certain, you know, one specific spot. Um, not exactly, but you know what I mean? It was like, I had too many shots in the same place. And then now I'm like, because I'm not stopping that much, I'm just moving along, then I have like a broader variety when I come home. Um, so that's that's definitely something that I have, I have appreciated. So for me, really, it's it's when I'm doing film, it's it's really about, again, it's about trying to reach quality over quantity and and having a more, 
intentional experience than rather just getting whatever I can get. It's a really beautiful way to to think about it and and approach it because it is that when you are able to look at the back of your camera and yeah, that whole anxiety of did I get it? Did I get it? When like when do I stop? Well, with the 36 frames, like you know when you're going to stop because <laughs> when <laughs> you're, done, you're, you're done, you're done if yeah. you're limited it, it, it to that. Um, and I don't know, I think it's just a, it's, it, if you can then sort of learn those things in your mind to apply back to your digital photography, you know, it's just kind of that always learning, always learning. Yeah. And, and now I'm photographing when I'm photographing digital, I'm mostly photographing with the Leica 10, 10MD, which doesn't have a screen in the back. So, you know, I'm kind of really applying those, those, those same terms because I cannot see, I mean, I can technically see if I connect to the phone, which I cheat sometimes and I do when I want to make sure that I got the, the jump, for example. Um, but otherwise, you know, I've done sessions without whole sessions without looking at the, you know, without connecting and just like keep going. Um, and there's definitely, it's, it's really liberating, I, I would say. So again, because digital photography has tied us to perfection to uh, an impossible extent or to an impossible uh, goal that or goalposts that we're never going to really reach because it's all in our heads. Um, and that's why also one of the reasons why I really like film is because it's, it's really it's not about how many megapixels. It's not about the latest and greatest gear. It's 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 about you on the photograph and the gear. It's 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 a tool, but it's you know, you cannot rely on, on on megapixels to crop afterwards or things like that. Um, and also nobody's making film cameras right now. So you're not trying to get the latest camera. Um, you're just trying to get the best camera that you can get at the moment and do your best work. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to, to end this conversation because it really, it's not about the gear. Um, we, we say that over and over. It, it is your creativity, your energy, your language, your body language, who you're working with, the light, all of those things. Um, and so, Omar, I want to make sure that everybody knows how they can find you, follow you, and support you. Of course, I know that you sell prints on your website. I know that you have partnered with Adobe and you um, do Lightroom tutorials. Um, uh, and yeah, tell us more about where people, oh, and you have a Patreon. Where yes. can people find all of that? So I'm generally across all platforms. I'm, you can find me as Omar Z. Robles. Um, you can find me on Instagram as Omar Z. Robles and also on Patreon. On Patreon, I try, I'm trying, it's very new, but I'm trying to create uh, works that you can see there pre, um, as a as a premiere uh, and before I, I publish it anywhere else. But also I'm doing behind the, things, behind the scenes and things that I don't really uh, publish anywhere else. So the idea is to give people a little bit of a more personable experience there than what you see on, on, on Instagram. Um, and you can also buy prints of my work on, on Instagram, I'm sorry, on my website at www.omarcerobles.com. Uh, you can buy prints and also signs, which are like small, you know, small books um, of some of the experiences and, and places that I've been to. Um, and I'm publishing them um, on a regular basis. So I think I have about six or seven now. Um, but every other two or three months, I come up with a new one. So people are always excited to see, you know, what's coming up next. That's awesome. And of course, uh, people can tune in and listen to your conversations with dancers. With dancers. When do, when, when do those happen? It's every or almost every uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. I was doing it every Tuesday, then I had to move and it was like a bit of a gap there. But every Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. New York time or Eastern time, um, you can join us and, and you know feel free to send your questions if you have questions for the dancers. Um, but it's really a, a, a really good space to get to know um, that community of dance and photography. And it, it, especially, like you said, if you're somebody that's interested in photographing dancers, to hear their perspectives and what it is to work with you, going in depth uh, behind the scenes, looking at the images, talking about them together. I mean, what a beautiful way to learn about photographing uh, dancers. So thank you again, everyone. Um, thank you again to Omar Z. Robles, and we will see you all next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. We originally recorded this episode live on Creative Live TV. That's our new live stream to entertain, inspire, and connect us all coming from the living rooms, kitchens, and home studios of the world's top creators. Check out what's playing now and upcoming shows on creativelive.com TV. Be sure to follow all things Omar Z. Robles via his website and online store at omarzrobles.com and follow him on all things social media at omarzrobles. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, Head over to creativelive.com and check out the Creator Pass. That's our subscription that gives you access to over 2,000 classes. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, and a five-star review goes a long way. And if you like this episode, tell someone about it. Word of mouth is the best way for us to reach more creators just like you. You can stay up to date with everything happening at Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. And I'm Kenna K. Klosterman on Instagram and at Kenna K. Photo on Twitter. 